Hello and welcome to 19 Hits the Dragon, a show about Dungeons and Dragons, tabletop RPGs, and uh, nerd culture in general. I'm Mike Daniel, and I'm joined as always by Rob Mackey. How are you doing, Rob? I'm all right, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing just great. Uh, yeah, like I said, we're going to talk today about some uh, tabletop RPG related stuff. Uh, last week, or last episode uh we left off talking about uh being a dungeon master and we're going to kind of build on top of that today uh talking about homebrewing uh rob what uh what tips do you have for people who are wanting to to homebrew and, and what does that mean what does homebrew mean let's start there all right that sounds good so homebrewing is the practice of kind of creating uh your adventure module or campaign uh from scratch as a dm um there has throughout the history of tabletop gaming there is kind of a i wouldn't i don't want to put them in like strict opposition but you have like your published modules right that um are intended to you kind of read through them and you come to an understanding with an understanding with them and you take your notes and you figure out what you're going to be doing and how you're going to be running um, the adventure as it's been written. With the homebrew, you're kind of um, you're um, taking whatever you, you kind of want from the source materials you have and putting them together into uh, the adventure or campaign yourself. There kind of there are kind of degrees of it. You don't necessarily have to. Um, come up with every single dang thing um from scratch say like if you if you run if you're playing D, say and you want to run uh, an adventure on the sword coast and you don't necessarily want to do like the world building aspect and you just kind of want to plop it in the sword coast because you're familiar with the setting and you're familiar with how it goes that's totally valid that absolutely counts as home brewing if i think that even if you um if you take a published adventure and kind of pillage it for content, and I'm talking here, for sure, I'm talking here about maps, original monsters, original. Maybe there's some like player options that the adventure contains, um, things like that. That's um, also part of what homebrewing is. It's just as broadly construed as possible the practice of. Um, making up your own adventure for your um players to go through as opposed to um using something that's um, been professionally published for sure and there are uh just to take it even further there are people who will sometimes homebrew like in new classes or subclasses uh new race options and sub race options um for players and homebrew spells and it, so really homebrew is kind of an umbrella term that just means you know creating your own content for your own games or sometimes to publish and put out into the world so that other pe people can use them as well for sure although important thing to worry about uh not worry about i guess but an important thing to not worry about is that if you are deciding to make your own adventure like or anything really don't if it's just for home use don't you don't necessarily need to like it doesn't necessarily be like 
publishable. Does that make sense? For Is sure. Yeah. You don't have to have every single detail laid out all of the time and know what's behind every single door or um, so forth. They're going into a session or going into a campaign or adventure within that campaign. Um, you can kind of be a little bit more free forum about what happens in that adventure. Exactly. Rather than if you're publishing, you kind of need to lay out everything like you would if you were reading a, you know, a published adventure that's like an officially published adventure from Wizards or, you know, whatever gaming company. Exactly. And th think of it this way, if this is sounding a bit like obtuse. Um, if you're writing something to be published, it needs to be instructions that everybody else can understand. If you're homebrewing for your own use, it just needs to be something that you understand and that Absolutely. your players can get into and understand, basically. So I would like to talk a bit about... Um, homebrewing adventures because that's something I've kind of done a lot of and something that appeals to me a lot as a dungeon master. So with any sort of writing project, I think you just kind of need a starting point um, that, um, yeah, which sounds very intimidating, I know, because starting anything sucks and is the worst and is extremely difficult, <laughs> but I'm going to help make True. this manageable for you, um, so don't worry. When I say starting point, I don't mean like, it doesn't have to be anything like grand or super grand or super ambitious, it just has to be something that you think is going to be both fun for you to run and fun for your players to actually do. Say you're reading through the monster manual, right? And um, you kind of, your players are like, oh, let's say they're like, um, let's say they're about like maybe 10th level and you're just like, okay, I kind of want to start throwing some more of the more gonzo like high magic stuff at them what if i like and and then you just are thumbing through and you're looking at beholders and you're like oh man is it time where i could start like thinking about like having an adventure where a beholder is the villain that's a sufficient starting point right just find something that you think about the game that you think is cool that you want to incorporate into a game and kind of find a way to do it it's totally um it's totally valid to like kind of start from your end point and work backwards just because you think something is cool or if you kind of maybe you decide that like your campaign that you've been running up to a certain point or maybe not even if it's that campaign maybe it's the last campaign you ran or the last campaign that you played with in your group maybe you decide um well, gee, we really, it really just seemed like we were, um, you know, just kind of going through the dungeon and disarming the traps and solving the puzzles and finding the monsters and stealing their gold. And then we went to the next dungeon where we fought the monsters and disarmed the traps and blah, 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 blah. I want to do something different. That's also a very good starting point. Like, just, again, find something uh, that, uh, find an idea that you think is going to be cool and run with it. 
and when I say fine, just I guess what I'm saying is like once you've like DM'd a bit or maybe not at all, you're already going to have your own ideas for things that are cool. And homebrewing is a great way to incorporate those ideas into whatever like your campaigns ends up looking like otherwise. Absolutely. And it can be that idea can be anything, right? Like Rob gave the example of uh, a beholder and you can very easily just find a monster and have an idea for an encounter with them that you think is cool and kind of run with that. Or it can be a setting, right? You, you come up with an idea for this like cursed swamp and all of the denizens of that swamp and oh, that'll be really cool to have an adventure in that place. So let's figure out, you know, from there what that adventure looks like. Um, or it can even be like drawing inspiration from, you know, something else that's out there, some book or movie or TV show or cartoon or whatever that you really like. And you're like, okay, well, how about if I turn that into a Dungeons and Dragons game? Like, how would that play out? Um, and then you can kind of, uh, you know, let the, the wheel start spinning from there and turn that into an, an adventure for you and, and your players. Exactly. And um, part of why I wanted to talk about um, homebrewing in this episode is because I know um, in the last episode when I discussed uh, DMing, we talked a bit about the concept of railroading and what that means for your adventure. As a brief refresher, railroading is um, when, broadly speaking, when you artificially limit your players options for what they can actually do in the game um uh, to a certain extent it's not bad right Be um exactly and because like your players kind of understand that like you prepared a certain adventure and like that's what you're doing so hopefully they don't like go full edgelord on you and try and like you know become like bandit kings and queens and stuff instead <laughs> we're running a desert adventure and the party now decides that they're going to go to the coast and be pirates yeah. like okay cool well that's not what All we're right. doing we're gonna we're gonna role play <laughs> walking to the ocean for five hours while we wait for the pizza to show up and then um yeah i'm going to ask for uh, yeah we're going to track water usage and all that and it's going to be great anyway so um and because um anyway when it comes to railroading in any context and when it comes to homebrewing um these are kind of related concepts to me because um the thing you have to like kind of keep in mind when you're i um writing an adventure in any context whether it's just for home use or whether you're you're maybe going to try and publish it is um you can't assume too much about what your players are going to do and I know I said this last time out and I just kind of need to reinforce that again when it comes to actually designing your own adventure. Um, there, there always exists the temptation and like I don't even follow my own advice in this respect. Or if I do, like I, maybe I set out to follow this advice and then have trouble doing it once I'm actually writing because... I find at least when I'm like getting my thoughts organized for an adventure, I start to um, play a game of, and then this happens where like I come up with something cool or like um, maybe a set piece or an adventure hook and then kind of assume that the party gets um, 
from that point A to the next point B through a certain like course of action. It's a very easy trap to kind of fall into and it's something that you kind of need to um not I don't want to say move past because again, like I haven't moved past it. Like it's a process, right? It's something to be conscientious of. If you, when you're when you're For kind sure. of getting your thoughts organized um when you're um starting your adventure out and starting to maybe outline or just you know start even thinking about it just try to avoid the and then this happens construction because you're gonna yeah your players will probably screw that up certainly not maliciously but just because that's part of the game they're gonna do what they want and you have to be able to accommodate that somehow yeah, absolutely. You don't ever want to pigeonhole yourself uh, as you are coming up with your adventure and get stuck uh, without something to to do or stuck, you know, missing out on something that is is vital. So, you know, like we mentioned last time, is you, you need to be flexible when you are writing your ad- adventure just as much as when you are running that adventure, because there's no way that you can possibly predict everything or every possibility that your players might come up with in any given situation Um, because people are different and they're all going to think different ways and especially sometimes they're playing a character that's a little bit different from themselves so they have to kind of you know think differently than they normally would Um, it can result in uh, uh, chaos at the table quite frankly um, and that can lead your story and your game in all sorts of different ways that you might not have been prepared for so you need to be adaptable in your writing or outlining just as much as when you are running that adventure at the table yes exactly and yeah you um but the flip side of that though uh kind of or like the positive flip side of that is and this is especially true if like you have no ambitions for like um this adventure as anything other than like a home use kind of deal is that it's really it's a really good opportunity to like really like cater it towards your players right um if you yeah for sure if you feel that like your players it's like well they like fighting things like include a bunch of like cool fights um and like if they if they really are more into kind of um yeah if they are more into dungeon callers do that if they're more into you know fucking around in town and seeing what is there to do just maybe make up a town for them to fuck around in if you have um players who um took some of the like build options that are slightly more frowned upon uh this is kind of a good way to give them something cool to do like maybe your poor ooh, help me out mike what's a what's a character class that sucks <laughs> well uh, i mean we we did kind of shit on the Beastmaster before um as the ranger but um I think there are also some other subclasses that can get kind of uh, niche or, you know, limited in what they can do. So, um, yeah. 
so let's say another example with the ranger is the uh the horizon walker right that can lead to all sorts of cool stuff but if you don't have things in your game where you were normally traveling to other planes um then it you know you can end up feeling a little bit limited as a player in what you're capable of doing so if you see that your horizon walker ranger is kind of struggling to use their cool abilities then write some shit where you take them to another plane um same with like there's uh the circle of uh dreams um for the druid has some abilities where you know if you go to a different plane of existence you can take a long rest there and then later on when you're resting somewhere else you can magically transport everyone back to the last place that you long rested as um on that plane of existence which might not come up a lot if you're just doing a campaign that's on the material plane but if you're plane hopping around all of the great wheel cosmology then you can have a lot of fun with that uh, same sort of applies with the Horizon Walker, where they can find portals to, you know, other planes of existence and uh, shit like that. So you just need to um, find those those things that your your players maybe like don't get to explore as much, and uh, find ways to in incorporate those. And those are some more extreme examples, uh, things that kind of happen in planes. But um, yeah, for sure. Or like yeah. if you have a monk who is like, ah oh, man, they haven't even got. Or like, uh, is it the monk or the rogue thief where it's like, oh, you can climb up vertical surfaces. Just get on some vertical surfaces, man. That's cool. Doesn't. <laughs> yeah, actually, both of them get some climbing abilities uh, at certain points as they level up. Yeah. So. Um, I should yeah. really. Give, yeah. It... No, sorry. I was okay. just saying, I should really remember this slightly better off the top of my head because, you know, as rules potentate, it is upon me to remember all of the rules at all times. So, I feel bad. <laughs> Rob, remember our advice from our DMing episode, you don't need to know everything oh. all the time. It's okay to pause and look things up. Oh, remember? that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and then, I mean, that's something that applies to homebrewing as well, right? Like you can always, you know, hit the pause button, step away, look at some other adventures um, and see how things are structured and um, find ways to incorporate that into your game. And, and that actually kind of goes back to what you were saying, Rob, about, you know, kind of pilfering from other adventures is that's something that I do a lot is because I... You know, I currently own all, of, or not all of, but many of the adventures that are published by Wizards of the Coast because I was doing the Adventures League for a long time and I had a, the ability to, like, get those on the cheap, essentially. Um, but I haven't had the chance to run all of them with with uh, with my main crew or my, my main uh, table, right? So I occasionally will dip into those books as I'm, you know, coming up with stuff for... Um, our, our homebrewed adventures um, and uh, yeah use certain aspects of those uh, adventures that are, are already published and already out there like the you know pull a character out of it or a couple of you know NPCs that you want to fill your city with that already exist in this published adventure that that's perfectly fine you can figure out who those people are and how they fit into your town or city or whatever and that society that's there 
um, and just kind of tweak them a little bit. And then now, you know, someone that's in Waterdeep in this one adventure is now in Baldur's Gate in the adventure that you're running at your home or whatever, you know, place you end up being. Word. Exactly. And like, I think I, I also just love pulling from like published adventures too, because I think for sure, the main thing I always like pulling maps. Cause when I try and draw my own maps, man, I'm just like, Oh boy. Okay. I got, I got my, <laughs> I got me and I got my grid paper and I got some dreams. All right, let's see. Well, first off, first off i think this hallway should go left because that is what hallways do and this is a purposeful (laughs) design choice that clearly enhances the game okay great and then uh this uh should this door should have a trap on it i guess so yeah i like pulling maps because that's just not something that that sort of stuff isn't the kind of stuff that not comes naturally to me i would much rather i would much rather have like a map with nothing in it because that's cool for me because then i can be like okay i can i can put this trap here and like i can build this encounter and that can go here and i can put this treasure pile here and things like that that comes a lot yeah absolutely that comes a lot more naturally to me than like making maps and i'm sure a lot of people uh, would say the exact opposite. It's like, I love drawing maps. I could draw maps all day. I'll draw a map right now. Shit. Let's go to cartography school. <laughs> Let's do this. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I think the na- main message here is, you know, play to your strengths and don't feel bad about pulling resources for things that m- you might not be so great at. Right. Like I, I also kind of suck at maps. So I spend sometimes you know, a night just browsing like different subreddits that have D&D maps or other types of battle maps that I can just kind of save for later and get some inspiration from those. And like, okay, well, I really like this map. So what kind of thing happens here? How can I take the story this way uh, to get us here and make a cool encounter take place here? Uh, and uh you know some people might like obviously there are people out there that draw those maps and they already have all of the ideas and all of the this like uh spatial awareness of how to put things on paper like that and that's that's not my strength and sounds like it's you know not yours either rob um so thank you to all of you people out there that draw those maps and uh anyone who you know, has that sort of same struggle, you can go out there and find those resources and use that in your homebrew. Especially, again, like if you're just doing things that you're going to make happen in your game and you have no intention of publishing it, yeah, steal from everything. Whatever is going to be out there that makes it easier for you or makes it more fun or interesting, uh, take those resources and, and put them in your game. Yes, 100%. And I would like to I would like to echo your comments uh, to all the like map makers out there. Again, thank you. We honor we honor your <laughs> yes, service. Yes, you make our lives as easy as uh, much easier as DMs. Absolutely. For sure, but yeah, it's wild how much stuff. Yeah, uh, this isn't like earth shattering news, I don't think. But yeah, Reddit's really good for like uh, stealing material. They want you to have it. They post <laughs> it to Reddit, and they're yeah, they like, put it "Yo, out take there. this exactly." <laughs> It's exactly. wild, man. Like, good for them. Good for them. Yeah. yeah. 
So, yeah, that that's my brand new earth-shaking advice to all you kids out there who already know this is yeah. There's a bunch of stuff on Reddit <laughs> if you need if you need DMing, <laughs> if you need homebrew resources. Yep, it's it's all out there for you. Yeah. Um was that uh, I was just going to ask like any, any tips for you or from you for, you know, building adventures or encounters or anything uh, in particular when it comes to home brewing that you, you want to impart on our, on our dearly beloved listeners yes, here. Of course. Um, and this, this ties in very much with the, like, don't force your players into a specific course of action thing. Um, this ties rather directly into it. Uh, when I try and, uh, write an adventure and when I and certainly this is my preferred style of published adventure really the best way um, to think of the um, what happens is your adventure is less in terms of events and more in terms of things what things are out there in this village, in this dungeon, in this region of the map, in this region of the country, in this whatever, whatever the scope of your adventure is, like, think about what's around. And, like, instead of, like, trying to construct a series of, like, linear events from that, just, um just um just stock your like map man just uh put the stuff um put the stuff in there and like kind of briefly describe like how what maybe what this npc's deal is what the what your villain's main like motivations are what goals they're working towards and also kind of what stuff is around basically and let your players find it and interact with it the way they're going to and like again include information um especially especially if you think um this is something you'll want to publish someday like think about um think about why things are happening basically and like include that information as well because that will contextualize everything a bit and that will give um that'll give gms who are like um aren't necessarily you and who are trying to run this like some sort of context and some sort of framework to like um run the adventure when their players inevitably do stuff that they weren't expecting so yeah and then obviously if you're just writing it for yourself like um just um write whatever like shorthand like um whatever shorthand you need to kind of remind yourself of why you put something where you did uh i guess and um for some um uh for me i usually try and keep um my comments on my own uh homebrewed stuff as pithy as possible and possibly to a fault right because i've definitely i've definitely had it been where I've been in an ad- I've been running an adventure that I made myself and I'll be like and then the thing happens because yeah and then it's like well let's see what's a this is a fake example but an, it's an example nonetheless 
where it's like, and then the wizard casts darkness upon you. And then the player will be like, I thought that there was a sphere of the spell daylight in this room, so you can't cast darkness. And then I'll have to be like, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) That, yeah, like, um, so it would probably be a bit more helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So give yourself some context so that, again, so that you don't have to remember your own thing um, all the time, always. Like you can give yourself, you can leave yourself like little breadcrumbs that remind you of what the significance of whatever the thing was. And this is all a very vague sentence. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. I I just want to kind of build on top of something that you said as far as just kind of leave stuff out there for the players to find. And I absolutely agree. Just like fill your adventure with things um encounters not necessarily fighting encounters but could be encounters with npcs or a trap or some sort of strange um you know set dressing for a room or a section of the forest or swamp or whatever right so definitely have all of that and don't plan for event to event to event but maybe have some sort of like threads that are weaving all of those things together and stringing stringing your players along so that they feel like so they have some sort of purpose and drive as they're going through even if they're sort of like taking you know every single turn that they possibly can to explore the whole map um, you still want to have that thread that is somehow pulling them towards wherever the adventure is ultimately going Um, Because there's always going to be some sort of conclusion to your adventure, right? It's going to have that climax of some sort. And you need to sort of sprinkle things throughout the adventure so that no matter what your players do, you have some uh, threads that are kind of pulling them towards that climax that you want to build for this adventure. And, and again, you need to be flexible with that climax so that if they take a path that you weren't expecting, you can just kind of, okay, well, I'm going to rearrange some things and end up having this like a similar encounter with the big bad evil guy that I was planning, but it's just a little bit different than what I, I had on paper. Um, but you still need to have those threads to give your players some sort of purpose, because if a lot of issues that like sandbox RPGs roll into or run into and sandbox adventures and campaigns is that it often leads leaves the players feeling like they don't have a purpose as they are going through the adventure. So you need to make sure that that hook is strong enough that regardless of where they go in what you have laid out here, that you can continue pulling them towards your your goal or your climax of wherever this story is going because it's all a story right i mean every adventure every session has a story to it and there needs to be those sort of story elements otherwise your players can kind of feel like uh, or your session or your campaign might start to feel a little bit bland because it doesn't have that sort of rise and fall of the story and leading towards some sort of uh conclusion yes Absolutely. And I think that's also just a very, from a like workload management um, standpoint, that's, um, it's also just, I think, good practice, especially when you're like doing it for the first time to just kind of have everything tie back into the like the main, um, 
uh, I guess purpose of the adventure. Is that the way I want to phrase this? Let me think out loud while everyone is <laughs> for listening. sure. I mean, that, it, it works works well enough. I think the the purpose or the goal or the you know endpoint. Um, if everything is kind of tying it back to to that, then eventually you'll get there, right? And and the same kind of works for a campaign too. Like if you have a you know big sprawling campaign, and you want to have a you know big bad evil guy that's kind of uh, the ultimate climax of this adventure is to you know fight the evil lich in his tower, and then the party saves the day. Like you know have the lich be disrupting shit for the party all along the way, even when you know, they're on an adventure that might not necessarily be exactly related to the main quest line. They can go on a side quest, but still have some breadcrumbs in there that kind of ultimately lead them back to what your main thing is. For sure. And, uh, yeah, for sure. And that's, um, yeah. Yeah. Woo. Sorry. I kind of I kind of <laughs> got lost in a series of like transitional interjections and then I just found my way back. <laughs> it's great. Anyway, yeah. And I kind of yeah. I was kind of gearing that I guess comment I guess I I guess a bit more towards when you're starting out to uh, homebrew starting out homebrewing in general because mm-hmm. again, it's part of sure. it's part of the like smart smart stall thing. Start small. <laughs> Good lord. The smart stall. <laughs> no, the smart stall is when you don't know what to do. So you say, hey, I needed to get to uh, take a bathroom break and step away from the table and give yourself time to think. That's it's the smart true. stall. Although, really, starting small is itself a smart stall. Because instead of like trying to answer every single possible question that anybody could have about your adventure at any point, you're just kind of like, okay, here's what I'm going to focus on, <laughs> and I'm go- and uh, here's how I'm going to make everything kind of tie back into the main plot, and um, yeah, I had a conclusion there. For sure, yeah. You don't need to reinvent the wheel, as one of my mentors would was always fond of saying. Um, the, uh, I mean, take it from someone who, like my my first uh, campaign that I wrote, I wrote a home, like I homebrewed the whole setting, right? So I, I started by building this whole world, and then I kept going back to the sort of cosmology of the world that we were building or that I was building so that anytime I would like start a new section of the campaign and a new adventure, I would ultimately end up like stop stopping myself and saying, wait, but um, how did time begin in this universe? (laughs) Um, And you don't always need to be that, that broad or that, uh, that large of a scope, right? Like you, you can just focus on, the adventure at, at hand, it doesn't have to necessarily answer every single question in the cosmos when you're just going through, you know, any a particular dungeon or something like that. For sure. In the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. No one's asking yeah. No one's asking you to write the book of Genesis here. Like yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely made that mistake with my first home brew. Uh of like, okay, well every time I'm gonna do something I have to go back and like, okay, let me see how all of this works and 
where this whole thing started off. Although the kind of the purpose of that campaign was sort of setting things back to the beginning of the, the world. So it, I had a reason for doing it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's not something that you need to do every time that you're just writing your own adventure or campaign. Like, like Rob said, start small, focus on, you know, what is cool to you and what's enjoyable to you about this thing that you're coming up with and build from there. Um, don't don't worry that you don't have all the answers to how the universe fits together in your world because um, you don't need to. For sure. Because chances are no one's going to ask about those things. Although if you do, or if you are that type of crazy person like I am and you want to have all those answers, then anytime someone asks a question, you can be like, aha, here's why that's important. Yeah, that's cool, for sure. And like, again, this is not to say... Um, kind of off Mike's point there. This is not to say that if that's what you, if that's your like special purpose in homebrewing, yeah, then yeah, go for that. Definitely. Like, for sure. Yeah. If you want to create a setting, then absolutely do that. Yeah. yeah. Although a cosmology, man, that's, that seems like a tall ask. I keep up. <laughs> it was, it was a lot of work. I, I invented several gods and had to come up with all of their relationships and, how they all tied together into the beginning of this world and the planes of existence and all of that. And it was kind of a nightmare uh, for my first time doing world building, but I did it anyway because I've been saying that that's cool. I, I, yeah, that's very cool. I would, uh, if it was, if it were me, I would inevitably like, yeah, I'll design my own cosmology. And then I would just like, get extremely hungover and then listen to a bunch of metal and be like, nah, man, this place is, this world is run by demons and we're just going with that. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Slayer. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> oh God. On, that, On note, that note, your world is run by demons. Yeah. Um. For sure. So I, yeah, I tend to, yeah, to bring everything kind of like full, thing like it's all about uh knowing your own strengths and weaknesses <laughs> and catering to them and like strengths don't necessarily and like sure. also strengths don't necessarily have to be what you're good at they can just be what you think is fun right like i'm not For good sure. at building encounters every time i build an encounter i seem to kill everybody <laughs> which is a real problem for me and i'm trying to that is i'm trying issue. to work on it but every time i try and work on it i get the trigger finger or like i go for it too far in the other direction and then everybody like succeed like everybody like wins it's a cakewalk yeah, yeah. everybody wins their battle too easily and i'm like well i want to give them a i want to give the players a good scare at least and then the next time and then the next week everybody's dead it's a real problem but i love fucking doing it it's like a... it's just the best like i can be like ooh, and then yeah. these guys will kind of provide like these guys will kind of provide range support while the big beefy guy is doing this and then maybe also there's like a wizard or something that's really fun to me and it's fun for me to think about like those sorts of situations and put them together even though i don't like I don't know. I kind of like, I'm enough of like an old school revivalist weirdo to sort of be like, oh, who needs balance? It'll be fine. People will enjoy themselves. <laughs> For sure. No, I, I kind of do the same thing when building encounters sometimes where I'm like, I don't really care if it's like, you know, 
balanced in quotes of, you know, these people are doing melee and these are ranged and this guy's magic, et cetera, et cetera. Like now we're just going to throw a bunch of shit together and shake it all up and see what comes out. Um, and I often end up kind of uh, letting the party live by the skin of their teeth most of the time. So, you know, thanks, man. However you want to, however you want to make your own encounters. That's, that's it's your thing. Uh, but just have fun doing it. That's the important thing to circle back on what you were saying. If that's what's fun for you, then lean into that. Uh, and if map making is your thing, then lean into that. And you have some kick-ass maps for your your party to explore. Um, or if you want to come up with a lot of really cool NPCs to fill your town with, or you know this party of uh, this band of traveling you know people ro- roaming through the woods uh, like a bunch of elves, or you know all this sort of nomadic lifestyle or whatever whatever it is that you enjoy putting together focus on that and then put that in your game and kind of use that again as your starting point and build an adventure from there for sure npcs are another one that i kind of suck at this is kind of this yeah, is kind same. of a nut like tangent but like even the dungeon masters guy it's like we'll look at building a character give them personality traits and ideals and bonds and flaws and i'm like yeah 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 great but like to me that's like useless because like i start getting into it then and i'm like oh jesus what's a personality trait <laughs> like we've known each other right, for like years who- but like <laughs> like if you like even with good friends i feel like i'd be like rob describe me in three words like i'd be like well everybody i kind of know we all just seem like we are meat sacks just kind of drifting through material space (laughs) towards some unknown end so if you asked me to describe like your personality i would kind of just stare off into the middle distance and find a way to dodge the question so like Uh, i find that advice kind of unhelpful (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah no absolutely i mean i i often you know when i'm making npcs i'll just kind of scribble down a few interesting details about them maybe some like weird uh, not weird but a, a noticeable physical trait or um quirk about them as people uh and then just kind of build off of that and a lot of times i'm making things up on the fly about who these people are and how they're reacting to things so yeah um for sure yeah that's that's kind of my go-to when it comes to creating NPCs. It's like, I have a person, here is their name, uh, this is kind of their role in the world, and uh, maybe one interesting thing about them, and then the rest gets kind of made up on the spot. <laughs> then I have to take notes while I'm DMing about stuff that I came up with so that I remember it later, because I definitely forget that shit. Yeah, I... Um... I kind of like I I fall into this is a real trap I think for NPCs um in at least in D and D yeah because I tend to think of it it's like okay what is their name uh what's their alignment which I, like if you ask me I'll be like no nah, alignment doesn't really dictate personality right but like for when sure. I when I'm like in a situation where I'm trying to like make it up I like kind of like. I guess treat it like it is a personality sort of, or at least, or at least <laughs> yeah. a, like it's it's a little bit of a guiding post for how they behave, right? Yeah, so. I guess. But still, that sort of doesn't like that doesn't like create a like fleshed out and like uh, person. No, not not at all. It doesn't doesn't do all of the work for you, but it's a good way to say like, okay, this is kind of the direction that this person would 
think in and kind of go from there. That's true. So. And then the fleshed out thing. Uh, yeah. I know, Mike, I know you've seen this, um, but for the readers out there, um, there was a great meme that um, first circulated. Oh, gee, was that a year ago? Was that two years ago? Was that yesterday? I saw it. I saw it pop up. <laughs> Time is a meaningless yeah. at this point. But <laughs> yeah, I saw it pop back up like in the last week or two. And there's the thing that's like, uh, yeah, no matter what your villain's uh, tragic backstory is, your players will um, interact with them like this. And it's a panel from a comic where the guy is like, all right, Dracula, you fucking nerd. Uh, yes. Where's my goddamn money? <laughs> yes. And it's perfect because that's absolutely it's- true. I think that yeah it's it's moon knight and it's yeah that is 100 percent the way that players will interact with any npc or uh big bad evil guy you know it's uh, i also saw another meme that was like um immunity to fear is not a uh, a trait for your player characters but it is absolutely a trait for your players <laughs> yeah <Yo. laughs> i mean yeah because i mean your player characters like they they are the ones who experience the consequences, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Your 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 players themselves not always so not much. Not so much. Uh, I mean, I guess like yeah, if you if you if your character dies, that yeah, most people that sucks. Will, yeah, yeah, that always is that why I enjoy running horror themed campaigns. That might be why I enjoy running th- horror themed campaigns. Wait, because well, I I I have way more fun terrorizing my players than i do terrorizing their characters am i just a like a sadist i don't know that you're a sadist man like <laughs> i don't think that like i think you want like you kind of want from any game you want like the stress reaction right like um, for sure no matter even if it's like even chill games are like kind of a pain in the ass right consider tetris right like you get you get far enough in, <laughs> you get far enough in tetris that is the most stressful game in the world it, actually. it kind of is especially especially <laughs> if you probably have ocd and you have gaps in your shit <laughs> like oh my god it's terrible but yeah i don't think it means you're a sadist i think that's just like part of your like mechanism for like how you get how you get like your players like I guess invested on a like basic level mm-hmm. or get them to like, mm-hmm. yeah, stress can like stress can like really drive the fun of a lot of games. Um, For sure. And uh, yeah, it's um, which interestingly kind of loops us back into the topic that we're going on today is in your homebrew adventures, uh, find ways to invest your players in whatever it is that you are coming up with. Um, so you can have all these cool ideas and adventure idea, but if your players or your characters aren't invested in it, then it's not going to be interesting to them. Um, so you need to find ways to sort of hook them in to it. For sure. And uh, to tie that kind of a bit more full circle this is kind of like, this is part of my thing with like NPC design is because to some extent, I feel like it's not worth, I feel like it's almost not spending too much time on because I'm sure there, I'm sure there are groups out there where they like, you know, really get to know the NPCs and figure out what their whole deal is. But I don't think Mm -hmm. I've ever played in or seen one of those. So like, 
<laughs> For sure. I think your, I mean, our game is a little bit more leaning into that than most of the other games that I uh, have DM'd in the past or in other sessions and stuff. Um, so I feel like I constantly am like on the ropes <laughs> when it comes to coming up with stuff about NPCs so that you guys as a party can, can get to know more about them um, or interact with them more. But at the same time, like I, I don't, like I said, I, I don't, you know, plan those things out most of the time, right? Like it's, you can't always plan every single NPC that is going to interact with the party. So a lot of times what I do is I, I write down, you know, a couple of names and like, maybe like, okay, so if the party needs a shopkeeper, this is the person that I'm going to pull from and I'm going to have some details on them. If they need a town guard, then I have this person and uh, then I will, you know, build off of what they need for, for that. Um, or the party needs to go see some sort of like specialty craftsman that I have a couple of people that I can, you know, pull from and, and turn that into whatever, you know, specific type of thing that the party needs. Because if you have, you know, it, basically, if you spend all of your time designing the NPCs that are in every single shop that are in your town, you're not going to use most of those, right? So if you spend a little bit of time kind of putting some seeds together that you can kind of grow out of, um, then it's just a lot more uh, conducive to like your sanity and your, you know, kind of work play balance there. Um, yes. So yeah, that's my take on oh, that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's another kind of, there's kind of a, yeah, there's a very good point like nestled within that. I think that's like find ways to cut corners seriously absolutely like yeah your time is limited the possibilities for what can possibly happen are unlimited so yeah um kind of a problem from a like um time and space sort of perspective <laughs> right yeah you can't possibly plan for everything so find all the ways to cut corners and save time that you can and uh repurpose things as needed as you're going for sure um, I kind of want to talk a bit as well about kind of home brewing, uh, more of the like player option side and coming up with okay. some more player kind of focused stuff. Uh, cause I, um, I like, uh, working, I like, um, I like kind of making up like player stuff. Um, I think it's fun because usually it starts from, it's fun and rewarding. It usually starts from a place of like my player asks me, it's like, Hey Rob, can I do this thing where this thing is, this is a variable in some sort of algebra equation where it's an option that isn't really in the book itself, but seems mm -hmm. plausible. Right. For sure. So like, um, I did this one thing where, um, I had, a. Fuck, what's the druid circle that's like you get a bunch of spells? That's land, right? The land, yeah. yeah so sure. we made a new like land circle thing. That was fun. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was fun and cool and different. Or if people want to like, I don't know, like, I get samurai's a thing now, isn't it? Right, it is, yeah. Um, but to, to kind of build off of that, though, I mean, like samurai is a great example because it is this fighter subclass now. But, um, I mean, with, with any, 
with any class or subclass that you want to create um, or even like a variation on a subclass that's existing, you know, I, I always go back to actually a, a bit of advice from Jeremy Crawford, who is the lead rules designer for uh, fifth edition D&D. Because um, I watch a lot of interviews with him because I, if I want to design things, then I need to go to the person who designed all of this. Anyway, uh, his bit of advice is, you know, when it comes to creating a, a class or a subclass is start with the story. You know, what is like the, the kind of story archetype of this person or this type of um, class that you would want to play in? Um, so the, the samurai is a good example because they have, like, the idea of a samurai is very defined, I think, in the sort of, like, zeitgeist that is uh, all of our, our collective consciousness. Um, so if I say samurai, like, that evokes certain things to you uh, as you hear that word spoken, 100%. right? And then you can kind of build a subclass based on some of those key points of what a samurai is. Um, and yeah, I mean, that, that same kind of thing translates to creating something that is totally new. Like if there isn't, there isn't currently a, a gunslinger subclass or a class at all. Right. I mean, there's homebrew stuff out there. Sure. Um, but there's nothing that's official. So if you want to homebrew your own thing, start with the idea of, you know, a gunslinger and what does that mean to you and how does that translate to abilities within, Dungeons and Dragons or whatever RPG that you're you're designing. Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly it starts with I do not aim with my hand. He who forgets <laughs> yes. what aims with his hand forgets the face of his father. I aim with my eye. Surely, exactly. Yep. Roll two d six. I guess. <laughs> See, bam, knocked it out. <sighs> we just created gunslingers. For Done. Done. Dunzo. What's next? Problem solved. Next class. Let's do this. <laughs> Exactly. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of my mantra as well. And again, it's stolen from Jeremy Crawford uh, as his bit of advice is, you know, start with a story and, you know, build from there. Because if you start with like, you know, mechanics and stuff and then you have to kind of fit the story into that class, like you can run into a lot of issues um and that's i think that's a huge part of like why they're struggling to make psionics right now is that they're focusing too much on or they have in the past anyway focused too much on the mechanics of the psionics and not really like the aspects of a psionic class option um that makes it interesting from a um a perspective of the like the idea of you know this person who uses psionics they're they been focusing too much on what does that mean for gameplay and it's it's caused a lot of speed bumps for them which is why we haven't had a legitimate psionics option just yet they keep kind of going back to square one and you know sure. having to start all over to try and make well, it well i so. mean hmm i kind of want to like i kind of want to yeah but that because it's like yeah but like also i think mechanically i do think it is an issue because like how do you do with the way that magic is set up right now um like how do you do it <sighs> hmm the problem is like 
if it's supposedly like a fundamentally different thing but we already have like kind of like um how do you like introduce something that works differently but is also streamlined i guess into kind of the For way sure. that oh yeah and I, i'm not saying that that mechanics isn't an issue i'm just saying if you start with the mechanic aspect then that's where you end up kind of uh you know tripping yourself up so if you start from the story perspective of this class then you can incorporate the mechanics in it as you go and figure that out um but if you do it the other way it gets really clunky that was my point. okay that's yeah that's fair and I think, like, I think that goes for, like, other, like, smaller, like, just you and your group sorts of things, too, right? Like, for sure. Because, like, when I, when I, because I kind of see, like, yeah, again, I kind of see, like, player options as kind of, like, or, like, made up player options, rather, as, like, a kind of, like, it's a player-serving thing, right? And presumably... Mm-hmm, that's motivated from something a bit more than just like oh well i don't know get to roll a bunch of dice i guess or like you know or i just like i think that like um there's usually some sort of reason and sometimes and like it doesn't have to be a better reason than like oh i think it would be cool and i think it would be fun necessarily right but yeah that's still i think yeah that's still something more akin to like like something story based and something character based for sure yeah i mean it can even be something as simple as uh, again like drawing inspiration from you know popular media that you really enjoy and want to find a way to put that into your D game like if you you know if one of your players comes to you and says like i i want to be a Saiyan or, a, you know, a Z fighter at least For like, sure. okay, let's figure out how we can make that happen. It's pretty easy. You just take the sun soul monk and tweak it a little bit and there you go. But, um, yep. <laughs> there like, again, like it comes from that idea of what a player or what you as a player find interesting and want to explore within a, you know, a D and D game or any, you know, whatever tabletop game you're playing. Word. 100%. Once again, steal everything. Uh, steal everything if you decide that you just to, yeah, to bounce off the Super Saiyan thing, if you really decide it's like, well, I want to be fucking Goku. Fuck. Be Goku. Like, no one cares. Like, that's yeah. cool. If any... Absolutely. Like, if people have a problem with it, that's kind of their problem. Like, that's part of the game. Like, we wouldn't be doing... Like, we wouldn't None of us would have gotten into this game at all if, like, the idea of, like, acting out, like, cool stuff that we've already seen didn't have any appeal to it. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of tend to think of D&D games as an anime anyway. So, uh, you know, often, I, I, Rob, you've been there for many of uh, these times when I've said such as that, uh, you know, as, as explaining something that's happening in the game or in, in a session is like, all right, well, in the anime, this is what it looks like when that happens, as though I'm going to make anime out of all of my uh, D&D campaigns, which I started writing that once. And then that kind of fell off pretty quickly. But um, sure. just having that idea of like how you view your game can be a, a huge uh, 
um, factor as well in kind of building your adventure or your um, player options, uh, race or class or, you know, whatever. Um, so if your game is an anime to you, like, what does that mean, right? Like, what sorts of things are going to end up getting incorporated into that because of that idea? Um, but if you see your game as like a, you know, a Indiana Jones style, a, a pulpy adventure type thing, like that's going to bring a whole lot of other things into your game and your um, options as you're creating all of this. So, um, yeah, for sure. I uh, me personally, I tend to view my games as like an extremely gory 80s sword and sorcery movie. For like sure. just blood everywhere you know the scene in uh i know i know that because this is not the first time i brought this up this calendar year in your presence but you know the scene in conan the barbarian where he's like there's just a long loving lingering shot of arnold decapitating a giant snake oh uh, yes yeah, shit like that i might have brain damage <laughs> not at all not at all um so but yeah that's still that very much gives me kind of a like driving ethos in terms of like what i want the like general tone to be and how i want like yeah what like a kind of kind of a default mode of or like way of thinking about how events play out i guess for sure yeah so yeah um uh, again like do i just to kind of summarize all of this right like start with an idea don't worry about you know covering too many of the bases at once start small and build from there things that are fun to you and that might be fun to your players um and then kind of use that as a springboard for assembling things together put shit out there for your players to run into um, and weave threads that will pull them towards whatever your idea of a conclusion is Um, as you are if you're making things like player options then again like the story aspect kind of comes into it of you know creating a class or a race or something from a archetype that is uh, out there already that's not in D&D um, or maybe it is and you don't like the options and you want to change that. Um, Absolutely. And yeah. A- a- any uh, concluding thoughts from, from you? There, this Bob? isn't so much a conclusion as much as it's a thing I wanted to say last episode when we were talking about DMing and also applies here and I forgot, but whatever. So anyway, let's move on. So yes. Um, <clears throat> so when it comes to DMing, Um, and sometimes this can creep in when it comes to homebrewing as well. I know we mentioned like how Reddit has a bunch of resources and that's great and it is, but I don't know about you, Mike, but there are some times when I'm on like, like Reddit looking at D and D stuff. And as a DM, I kind of fall into the sort of like social media, like fear of like, oh shit, I'm just not doing this well enough. Right. Like everybody else has a cooler setup. They have cooler players. They have cooler, like little accessories to use on their cooler minis on their cooler tables to run their cooler (laughs) adventures where they have more fun because they're cooler. And (laughs) 
for sure. Like it's it's easy to do. And yes, while it's always good as a DM and while it's always good as a writer to like keep pushing yourself and keep striving to improve yourself, try don't feel you don't need to feel that way. Like you're you're capable of running a fun game. You're capable of running a game that your players are going to be fun. And this is true regardless of like the resources you have at hand to make that happen. So don't feel, don't feel that your need, um, um, when it comes to creating a fun game, as we've been saying kind of this whole time, comes back to like knowing your strengths and playing to those and not worrying about your weaknesses so much. I saw a post on, uh, one of the subs, I think it was DM Academy. I was just like, help, my voices suck. What should I do? And I didn't say anything because <laughs> I kind of, am a, I don't love posting on the internet. Um, but I was this close to being like, well, don't use them. Like, you right. don't have yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're, you're not Matt Mercer, and that's okay. Um, you can draw inspiration from him, but... And from other, you know, DMs and other people that are posting their stuff online and like, oh, yeah, that all looks really cool. Just because you don't have those things or those capabilities doesn't mean that you're not a good DM. As long as you're having fun and your players are having fun, then congratulations, you played D&D good. Yes, 100%. And you made a good adventure or, you know, you came up with a cool class option if you're having fun and the player who's using it is having fun. Like, that's the whole purpose behind this whole game, right? Like, people kind of get in their own heads about it or uh have this you know sort of uh like these haughty ideas about how you know their way is the right way and there really isn't a right way to play D. there are certainly wrong ways to play D, <laughs> but the, yeah. i think the only right way to play D and in any table ta- tabletop rpg i know how to talk um the only right way to do those things is to have fun um, so as long as you're having fun and your players are having fun, then you did good regardless of your resources or your voices or, you know, whatever. It's a good game if you're having fun. For sure. Full stop. 100%. All right. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's been uh, Rob and Mike rant about things for about an hour. Um, <laughs> yes. Thank you for quite. listening. Um Thanks for tuning in to 19 Hits the Dragon. Um, If you want to contact us, you can reach out to us uh, over Twitter at 19 Hits the Dragon. That is at the number 19 Hits the Dragon, all one word. Um, You can also email us if you feel so inclined, um, uh, which is also just 19 Hits the Dragon at gmail.com. Again, the number 19 Hits the Dragon at gmail.com. Um, please, if you enjoyed what we said today, or if you didn't enjoy what we said today also, just feel free to, you know, give us a uh, rating or leave reviews or whatever you feel so inclined. Definitely helps us as we are trying to grow this uh, small podcast there. And tell your friends, if you had a good time, share this with them too, with the rest of your table, uh, with your DM or, you know, whoever. Like, comment, and subscribe, y'all. It is the way. It is the show. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Smash that. No, like but button. seriously, like, comment, no, and don't. subscribe, and tell your friends. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, and a couple of shout-outs here as well um, to my lovely fiance Hannah Miller, for editing these episodes together. A uh, huge shout-out to her. Yep. Also, uh, shout-outs to Paul Mackey for uh, doing the theme song, which is full of metal and rocks. Indeed, it does. I love it so much. Um, but, yeah, uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all next time on 19 Hits the Dragon. All right, peace out. Bye-bye.